This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Eves. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we are here to become better habitat managers. Well, guys, it's the month we've been waiting for all year. November has hit. We are on tonight with Casey Schupman from the Management Advantage. Now, we've had Casey on in the past. I'll refer to that here shortly. We talk about a great buck that Casey dubbed Snips that he killed just last week there in Illinois. What we're going to get into with Casey's nice buck are a couple different things for a game plan episode. That way you guys can maybe take some of his advice, put it to play this coming week or weekend in an area near you, trying some of the same strategy and hopefully having the same success. A couple things we talk about here, uh, the power of a cold front, uh, sitting a stand for the first time, most recent information. You guys have heard us talk about those a few times. What's particular about this one is moving your cameras around to find the correct information you're looking for and then where his stand is positioned. We talk about the certain part of the farm where the stand sits, which allowed him, I believe, to take this buck. So, guys, Casey Schutman, the Management Advantage Game Plan episode coming on now. First, I'd like to thank all the listeners. We hit our 100th episode last week, as you guys saw. Thank you so much. For the listeners, um, you guys are amazing. All the great reviews and the support, the t-shirts you purchased, the hats, a bunch of listeners looking good out there and that new swag. We love you guys. We couldn't have done this without 100 episodes of support. Thank you so much. Our partners, got to thank you guys too. We could not do this either without your support. We have Packer Max Salted Packers, Hunt Wise, Killer Food Plots, 
Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Realtree Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction, Sound Barrier Hunting, and Morse Nursery. I want to tell you guys about an episode coming up with Morse Nursery. We talk about a bunch of new trees that they're offering over at Morse. We also have a future discount code coming up that the listeners will be able to take advantage of. You can see that in the show notes, actually, for the Bill Winky episode number 100. But we recorded a really good one with Frank Brock from Morse Nursery. You'll see that in the weeks to come. I also want to talk about killer food plots. Right now, Nick is getting ready for spring. So fall is here. A lot of plants or food plots have been planted, but he's not done. We have a lot of products that you can even partner with your tree planting from Morse like his um, his retained product from Killer Food Plots is something great to plant with your trees in the spring. So it may be fall right now. We may be hunting, but it's still time to think about spring habitat work. And be sure to use the code over at Killer Food Plots for 10% off and free shipping. That is HP10%, HP10%. And lastly, I want to thank Adam over at Sound Barrier Hunting. So Adam actually scored a real nice buck. We're going to get him on an episode here soon to talk about that here in Michigan. But I want to talk about his buck bumper products. If you go and check out Sound Barrier Hunting, you will find out about his adhesive-backed soundproofing material called Buck Bumper. It comes in rolls. It's camouflage. It's used to make sure you don't have any hunt-busting noise off of your equipment while you're setting up. For instance, if you're climbing a tree in a saddle setup, you have climbing sticks, you have your platform, you might have a camera arm, you got to bring your bow up, you have all these things that can cause noise. Well, if you check out soundbarrierhunting.com, you'll see the buck bumper solutions for sound concealment. Now, Adam has free shipping and 30 days satisfaction guaranteed. He also has a 10% off code for Habitat Podcast listeners. That will be code HP for Habitat Podcast for 10% off and free shipping for Sound Barrier products. Guys, check him out at soundbarrierhunting.com. He's a mobile big buck chasing fool too. Check out their blog. I like reading this blog up there too. Um, really good stuff from Adam over there at Sound Barrier. Without further ado, let's get Casey Shootman on the line from the Management Advantage with a great buck he harvested in Illinois. All right, guys, we're back. Another episode of the Habitat Podcast. We have a returning guest today, Casey Schutman. How you doing, Casey? Doing well, doing well. How about you guys? Not too bad, not too bad. Brian, how about you? Doing great. Brian just uh, started a, what, five-week vacation, rut vacation, is that right? Man, you really want to get the hate mail coming. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm going to take off the rest of the week and hunt three days down in Ohio, so I'm kind of pumped about that, but five weeks, man. Woohoo! Yeah, pretty fortunate. Uh, un- unfortunately for my family, we had a couple of trips. We usually go see the in-laws in Florida in the spring, and then we go on family vacation for a couple of weeks in the summer. But as you guys probably all experience, as everybody else with the COVID, everything got canceled, so I got to burn some time before the end of the year. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And and Casey, you know you've, uh, yeah. Well, exactly. You've uh, you've been making some stuff happen over on your end too. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a heck of a start to the season. Um, it's been kind of short-lived for me. Um, been busy doing a million things at once, like we were talking about before, but um, I've been very, very fortunate, fortunate with, with what I've been able to accomplish so far this season. Yeah, let's uh, let's get right into that. But first, I want to just hear a little bit about you. Uh, for those who have not heard of Casey, we had him on episode 70, which was a phenomenal episode on trapping, um, management of trapping, efficacy of it, and then, you know, different food plot stuff on there as well. But let's give a little bit of a background on you and where you're from and kind of what what your property setup is for the, the hunt we're going to talk about today. Okay, so... Um, last time we talked about trapping, but my main job and what I've, and what kind of drew me toward trapping, um, was the, the job that I have. I work for, uh, the management advantage. Um, I'm the editor, producer, chief cook and bottle washer of the management <laughs> advantage. Uh, we've got, uh, a web show. Um, we, you know, we basically try to do a show every two weeks based around wildlife and, and land management. Uh, depending on the time of year. And um, so, yeah, um, that's what I do um, in a nutshell, in a really short version of it. Um, And anyway, I've kind of, you know, through the show, um, I've kind of spun, you know, a a really good storyline, I think, um, with our family farm into taking it from just a draw of timber and some pasture land and turning it into, you know, 99% wildlife habitat. Um, other than the tillable, you know, we've still got 100 acres of tillable on the farm. Um, so we, we try to leave that alone, but everything that we felt wasn't productive land, um, you know, we turned that into wildlife habitat through, you know, food plots, of course, was our first gig. I mean, that's kind of how everybody gets going into the wildlife management thing is they, you know, they plant a food plot and, you know, it's it, it, at this point in time, it, you know, if you're not planting those food plots, it seems like you're behind in the game. And, it, and then it just leads into everything else. You get into the habitat management, you get into native warm seed grasses, you get into timber management. All of it kind of ties together. Um, and it's been a process. You know, we started this probably 10 years ago on that place. And there was a period of time in there where we didn't, you know, we, we just didn't kill a buck at all. One, because we had EHD. Um, we had a really bad case of that. Um, two two out of the first four years, and it pretty much knocked our our age class down to nothing. Um, and we've gradually, you know, brought back from that. Um, I think we brought a lot of the neighbor's deer over when we built the habitat. So it was kind of a good uh, transition and learning time for us to do that, you know, because, you know, at the time we weren't worried about big deer at all, and we still really aren't. We're just, we just want to see some mature deer, and we definitely have started to see that turn around in a big way. Um, so where do we go from there? Yeah, well, I just wanted to comment, you know, your your show, The Management Advantage, that's, that's one of my all-time favorites to, to watch. If you listen to this podcast, I guarantee you either know about it I uh, have seen it or or would like it if you if you haven't. So what I like to do, I like to throw that up on YouTube on like a playlist and let that roll around in the barn while I'm, you know, working on a Saturday or whatever. I just love watching your stuff. So first of all, nice job on all the editing of the show. Um, you guys have really done a great job there. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Of course. We try to 
we try to make it a inspiring way to get people involved in, in the land management. And I, I think people really enjoy the entertainment side of it, yet the educational side as well. Yes, 100%. You guys do a phenomenal job there. Um, and then and then back to the, the real meat and potatoes here. You harvested a really nice buck. Um, I don't remember exactly what day. It was a couple days back, and I wanted to hear about – I know he wasn't – yeah, we can go today. Okay, I wanted to hear about yep. your plan on that, what habitat that buck is using or was using, and how you kind of, you know, made your game plan, made your move to to be able to be successful on him. So I guess okay. start it off to where you think you we should. All right. Well, um, the the past two years, um, we've had uh, the all the tillable on this farm, which basically it surrounds everything. The, the timber draw runs right through the middle. There's it's 170 acres. There's only like 30 acres of timber on it. And I've got it insulated with about oh, 25 to 30 acres of native warm season grass, mainly switchgrass. Nice. And I've got a couple of food, I mean, a couple of food plots in the middle of it, but nothing, nothing crazy big. You know, one of them's acre and a half. Uh, and the other one's like right at one acre. Um, but anyway, so we've, we've had standing corn on that farm until Christmas the past two years. And, you know, our draw leads into some really big timber and a lot of cover. We were pulling a lot of those deer into us just because we had food and cover. Um, you know, it's, it's wide open, flat ground, prairie ground, unlike a lot of what, you know, a lot of guys are hunting throughout the country. But it's kind of unique in its own way. Um, fast forward to this year. Uh, our crop season came to, you know, everything is pretty much out now. We harvested the beans, I think it was on October 10th time frame. So all of our food was basically gone other than our food plots. Um, and our neighbors just so happened to plant like 50 acres of cover crop right next to us. And it's pulled a ton of our deer, you know, since the first part of October. You know, we had some, de- I mean, I had, I think six or seven deer that were mature on camera through the summer and early fall. And as the crops kind of came out and that cover crop kind of came into its own, the cover crop is rye, radishes, and oats. And since that, you know, they call it the grain to grain transfer, those deer have kind of shifted that way. Um, So basically the south half of our farm, which is normally the best, is just dead right now. Um, and I, you know, I sat on those food plots, um, two or three times to, to start the season, you know, on a cold front. I don't like going in there unless I really know, um, that there's a big deer doing anything just cause I don't, I don't like to spook deer that early in the season and I don't, I don't have a lot of places to hunt. So I've got to be extremely careful with, with where I go and what I do, uh, entry, exit, the whole nine yards. I don't like any deer to know I'm even in the world. Uh, but sitting those plots earlier in the season, I wasn't seeing the amount of deer that I normally would. Um, even And that was when we still had our beans in, so we still had all the food source there. But those deer were just navigating north instead of coming south through our property. Add on to the fact that we had an extremely good acorn crop. Um, the deer just weren't coming out into the fields in daylight hours like normal. I mean, the one, the, our biggest food plot there, 
I killed a deer out of last year. You know, normally, like all through last year, anytime you went and sat that field, uh, you'd see 20 to 25 deer and sometimes more than that. Um, I think I seen like six or seven, but it was like real sporadic. They didn't really come into the plot very, and they'd peek out and they'd just kind of go back into the woods. And so mid, mid October, mid, early to mid October, I kind of did a little scout and we had a 40 mile an hour wind day. Um, it was 80 degrees and I just said, you know what, I've got to figure out what's going on. So I basically took the day and slipped around and, and found some stuff that was interesting, moved some cell cameras around and within 48 hours, I figured out what I was doing wrong. Um, the deer were just, they were staying in the timber. Um, it was unbelievable that, you know, you're, you're so close to them. Cause you know, when I'm walking into about every stand that I have on that farm, when I get to where I'm going, I'm usually within a hundred yards of deer bedded down. So you're, you're so close, but yet when you're not seeing the deer, you're like, what is going on? Cause you know, you're close to them. Right. You're just not seeing what you should. So, um, that was around, oh, October 10th to the 14th, somewhere right in, right, right around in there. Um, when I've seen that and we, it was, it'd been really hot and our next cold front wasn't until the 15th, 16th, 17th, somewhere around in there. Uh, I actually went and filmed a buddy, um, on the 15th. He had a nice deer coming to a field. And I filmed him kill a really nice deer, probably a seven or eight year old buck on the 15th of October. Um, and it got to the point where it was October 20th and we had a good cold front. Um, and it was raining and it was supposed to stop around like 3.30. And that was the first rain that we had gotten in probably a month. It was extremely dry. Everything was just it was loud, walk, trying to walk through the woods. Um, just everything was kind of turning off dead. And, um, I finally kind of made a game plan. We had a south wind and our best stand on the farm is a south wind stand. And it's one of those that's really hard to get into unless you have a decent wind when you're walking in or if, or if it's wet just because it's so loud. And when you climb up the tree, you're, you can usually turn around when you stand up in the stand and see deer land down. Um, but it's the best stand on the farm. Uh, there's quite a few good white oaks in there. It, it's just a perfect spot for a deer to come cruising through. It's on the high side of a ridge. Um, you know, it's on the downwind side of where every deer will be bedding. So if a buck does cruise through there on a pre-rut situation, you're going to be in his wheelhouse. And I got a little bit lucky, not going to lie. Um, <laughs> I was uh, I was in there to actually kill another deer. Uh, we had a deer that I call Cartman. He's a five-year-old mainframe six-by-five, but his longest time is probably five inches long. But he's just real massive, probably 19 or 20 inches wide, just a big old bully deer. And... um I've got some really good history with that deer. I've rattled him in two years ago, had him right underneath him. He was a three-year-old. It's pretty cool footage. Um, but trying to close the story on that, I had him on some scrapes in daylight, and he was just making laughs through us. Um, but all in the timber, he was, he was not coming to the food plots. So I decided to get into that timber stand, slipped in there. I was running a little bit late. Um, 
I was trying to get the camera arm up, had deer walking underneath of me. And long story short, at 4.45, I look up and see just a tree, a, a bush shaking. And I throw my binos up, and it's this really good-framed pinpointer. And I'm, like, trying to figure out who it is. So I get the camera on, I hit record, and I pull back up. And the deer turns to the left, and I can see he's got a little sticker on his base of his right G3. And I've got several pictures of the deer. I knew exactly who he was. I called him Snips. He's a five-year-old and just caught me total by surprise because I'm kind of on the northwest side of the farm. Every picture I have of that deer this year from summer to early fall, and actually I hadn't had a picture of him in probably eight or ten days, was it was all on the east side of the farm and all in the middle of the night, and he was always headed up into the neighbors. I had a, I've got a camera up there that's probably 100 yards from the neighbor, and he was always headed that way. And uh, anyway, long story short, he came down through there just what you dream about, you know, as a mid to late October hunt, just making scrapes on every overhanging limb every 10 feet took his time coming in. It couldn't have happened any better for a solo filmer like me. Um, <laughs> I filmed him for, I filmed him for probably five minutes before he got to me. Wow. And he walked right up in there. I, he ended up getting kind of underneath of me and the stand's kind of high. Um, and I had a, so the stand is in a white oak and I've let a bunch of the limbs like kind of grow up underneath and around the stand. It's kind of like sitting in an eagle's nest. But they hide you really well. And uh, right before I well, – actually, when I drew my bow, the deer is standing there at 14 yards. He comes up out of the ditch, and I bring my pins down on him, and I see the tree limbs wiggling, like right in front of the stand. And I look down, and like half of my bow is in this limb, and it's full of leaves. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. That, I need. And like 20 minutes before the deer came in, I had actually looked at that same limb and thought, I should probably trim that because if there's a deer right there, and I didn't do it, of course. You know, squirrel brain got the best of me, and I didn't do it. So I had to, at, while I'm at full draw, I kind of had to, like, stand up on my tippy toes and kind of back up against the tree to get out of that tree limb. And when I did that, I think I changed the anchor point on my mouth. And um, I hit him about two to three inches high because I was kind of aiming high anyway just because of the angle it straight down and uh, ended up spining him so he, of course he rolled down back into the bottom of the deepest ditch on the whole farm <laughs> and I couldn't I couldn't see him or I could still hear him wiggling around down there so I climbed down and put another arrow in him just to go ahead and get it done but um, yeah I, I got definitely got a little lucky on a couple of counts but that's that's part of hunting, you know. We were prepared. We kind of had a game plan, and a little bit of luck always needs to go your way. So, oh, for sure. I I mean, congratulations yeah. on that buck. First of all, that's he's a stud, and yeah, beautiful buck. I mean, he's yeah. got he's got points coming on kickers coming off all over the place. Yeah, and to a little bit of a backstory to that deer. Um, I called him Snips. He was always a ten pointer that had his G fours were always kind of out toward the end, and it just you know, kind of a generic name, but I didn't really know what else to call him. He was just kind of your average, typical-looking, beautiful 10-pointer. Um, in 2018, I passed him twice out of the same stand that I killed him out of on video. So that's going to 
be kind of a cool addition to the story. Um, I actually had him bed down about 50 yards from me out of that stand, and I was in there hunting. He bedded down, and I can get out. In, I can get in and out of that stand just because my access is so well. Just it's perfect. Like you come up a ditch, and you just pop right into the stand. And um, he bedded down on me at like 10 o'clock, and I had to leave for like an hour. I had to leave. There wasn't anything I could do about it. And I left everything in the tree, climbed down, snuck out, came back in at 1 o'clock, climbed up the tree, and he was still laying there. Wow, <laughs> so that was kind of, right there. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. But yeah, he was chasing does. And that morning when I passed him twice, it was pretty cool. But he was just a beautiful racehorse-looking, long, tall, three-year-old, just beautiful. And he was one of those deer that I – was like, oh, my gosh, this deer has got super potential to blow up because I thought he was, like, 140, 145 when he was three. And, um, wow, he, I mean, he just – he didn't blow up like I thought he would. Um, you know, I thought he was going to be, you know, one of those high 170s, maybe 180-inch deer when he got to be five or six years old. But he just never, never made it. But it doesn't matter. I mean, he was, like I said – five-year-old, and I should have named him Babyface, to be honest. Um, he always had a real baby face, even in the rut. He never swelled up. Like, when he was coming down through there, I'm looking at him through binoculars, and I know exactly who he is, and I've got the history with him and all the trail cam pictures, but I test, you know, you're looking at him, and I'm like, he doesn't look five at all, but he was. I mean, he just had a real he, – he had the body. You know, from his shoulders, base of his neck, shoulders to his butt, was a tank of a body. But he just never really, in his neck and his head and his face, you know, how they get that just like they're on steroids look. Uh, he never, yeah. he never really, he never really got that way. And, he, and like I said, he's been like that, you know, in 2018, 2019, and this year. He just, I don't know what it was about him, but. And he was a he was a longer and taller deer than most of our other deer as well. I mean, I think he, he weighed like two seventy five on the hoof, just but he didn't really show it. You know, some of those you know shorter shorter lengthwise and shorter tall wise deer that you know they show off that weight a lot more than a than those longer and taller deer. But that's me just kind of micromanaging it. <laughs> I, I look at every I look at every deer and and. And, and I don't know. It's kind of funny how how all that works out, but worked out really well, and I couldn't be happier. It's hard to beat a October twentieth deer doing what they're doing, like they're supposed to be doing it. Yeah, for sure, no doubt about that. Yeah. Now you yep. had mentioned uh, they took off the beans. Is is that where they put the cover crop uh, in where the beans were at? Well, we actually put a we put a cover crop in as well, um, but no, the the neighbors to our north, they did some tile work in there. They didn't plant the field into a crop this summer, and they were they were in there doing some tile work and bulldozing work, and then they actually put hog manure on it, and then they planted the radishes and rice. So you can imagine what those things look like. They planted it in the you know, first part of August, so the radishes are out there knee high, and all of our deer have kind of sort of navigated that way. Yeah, I don't blame them. And how many acres yeah. was that about? On the neighbors? Yeah. 
How many acres of cover crop like that did they put in? They put in like 50 acres of it. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So it's kind of a buzzkill for us because when we took our beans out on our farm, I knew kind of what was going on. I've got to get some food in here. Plus, you know, we we like to take care of the soil, um, try to keep it from eroding, trying to fix a little bit of nitrogen for the corn crop next year. So we went in with um, oats, mainly as a carrier, which is all, will also feed the deer, but it's going to winter kill. And then we went in with vetch and uh, Dixie Crimson Clover to try to fix some nitrogen, some natural nitrogen for the corn crop next year. Sure. But, all, but the biggest problem we had was I planted that like the same day we were cutting beans off of it, and we never got a rain until October 20th. Yeah. So... Um, it might be, it's probably going to come up now a little bit, but it's, it's not going to be what it could be. Definitely not going to match what the neighbors, what the neighbors have. So it kind of is what it is, but, um, you know, I, I think during the rut, we'll, we'll probably have, you know, those, those same deer that I had pictures of in the summertime. We'll probably make an appearance sometime in there just because they're not keyed in on a food source. Exact, you know, they're going to be looking for does and, and we've got plenty of bedding. So I think it'll. Probably be okay. I've I've kind of st- stayed out of there for now. Um, you know, I'm not a. I don't like to be greedy. Um, my dad wants to kill a deer. He's actually retiring from being a deputy this year and uh, bought him a new car. Good for him. His last day is November first, so we're going to try to try to get him in there and video him killing a deer. So we'll see what Very happens. Very nice. Yeah. So I'm just kind of. Doing some office work, catching up, kind of relaxing, getting ready for everything to break loose, which I should be hunting today, but I'm not. I got to do a little video on to kind of tie some stories in together because, like I said, we got I got this deer on video that I killed. Uh, I filmed my buddy kill a deer. We got that on video, and then I've got two other kills on video as well from one of my other buddies that that filmed some. So we've got some pretty good stuff so far. Very nice. Um, I want before yeah. we let you go. I want to. I want to kind of get into why you think you were able to get on Snips and and get him killed. Um, a couple of the things that I wrote down while you were telling the story there. Well, I mean, first you had some historical uh, footage and and you know um, times where you, where you saw him in the past. You know, two years back. Um, timing might have been a little different then. I know you had some some acorns in there. How much of the play do you think those acorns were doing at, you know, about a week back? And and how much of the play do you I, think they're still doing right now? I, I think it had everything to do with it. I mean, I've got two other farms that I hunt as well. And the, the, the exact same thing as far as my trail cameras is happening there. Um, just okay. everything that's on the food plots is just not, not like it used to be. And the food plots are gorgeous. They look great. I've got, standing corn and and radishes and rye and everything just right there. I mean, I've got several deer coming to them, but just nothing, not what I'm, you know, looking for as far as mature deer. Um, you know, it doesn't, some, sometimes it doesn't make sense to me, but at the same time, um, you know, like I said, I got a little bit lucky. And, and in 2018, when I was seeing snips, um, that was like the first week in November right. and that was really, and that was really 
like late October and the to the first two weeks of November is really the only time period that I had him um, on the farm. And then last year we had him um, in velvet. I had a few pictures of him in velvet. And then you get into that first part of November, I had a few pictures of him, and then he left again. Um, this year was kind of the same way, but in a different – he just kind of bounced around. He didn't stay – in an exact spot like some of our deer typically do. He was very erratic from year to year, and maybe that attributed to why I ended up killing him was that I just caught him on the right day. Um, the weather was right. The wind was right. I hadn't been in there before, and typically I don't – that stand that I was in, we've killed – I think we've killed five deer out of that stand in the last ten years. But it's, it's the best stand on the farm, typically from – Halloween to, you know, that third week in November, just because those deer are just cruising through there and it's a highway. And I normally don't go in there until about Halloween. And I really don't go in there until in, in until Halloween in the morning. But I just had a gut feeling that I needed to get in the timber. And there's only so many stands that I can get into the timber on that farm without spooking deer. Um, and that was one of them. And it paid off. It was just I don't know. Like I said, there's a little bit of intuition, but there's a whole lot of luck involved with it, and I caught him on the right day. Um, he was he was going down through there making a scrape line, and every scrape that he made, there wasn't a scrape there before. So it was like very first time he was on a little roundabout, and he was just ripping everything up. You know, that's that's pretty interesting, and that was also downwind of betting. Is that correct, where he was cruising or where your stand is? Yeah, yeah. My stand is about 60 yards into the timber, but all the there's one trail that cuts in behind my stand, but 90% of the deer cut in front of me. And it's what it is is the it's just like I said, it's a draw that's probably only 200 yards wide that comes up through there, and the creek makes a big bend right in that spot where I'm at, and on the north side of that bend is a high bank. Okay. And on the, on the south side of it is like a bottom. So those deer, and it's really thick on the north north edge of it where the high side of it is. So those deer are normally cruising through there on a south wind, which is perfect for me, and they're cruising that high side wind, everything that's in that bottom or up on the other side, and they all they got to do is make one pass through the whole property, and they can wind it. And uh, it's paid off, you know, year after year, just, it, it's the right spot. Like I said, we hung that stand, I don't know, probably 12 years ago, and it's it's been dynamite. And, and you can see a lot from there, too. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've seen target or non-target deer that, you know, we just have a lot of history. It's where I get a lot of the history with the deer that I that I eventually have on that farm. And you end up, you can, just because you can see so much of the timber in there. So are you on that bank that they're that they're cruising in? I assume they're betting in the thick part of that, or some of the does might be. Is that true? Yep. Oh and, yeah. yeah. Okay. And are and you said they're cruising on top of that, so are they cruising like the military crest portion of that, where they're you know two thirds up, catching the the wind coming out of the bottom and thermals coming down from the top, or or are they just cruising the downwind side of it, no matter what? I mean, it's the highest side. Okay. Uh, of the farm, 
um, and stick up in there. But, I mean, they're using the wind to their advantage. And, you know, they may be cruising through there with a north wind as well. Gotcha. But I can't hunt it on a north wind at all because my wind is blowing directly down into all of our bedding area. So, gotcha. you know, it's a, it's a theory on my part, but it, it, it works. I mean, it's the same stand that I killed. Uh, Charlie Brown out of in 2017. Um, it's the same stand that my brother killed uh, Oscar out of in 2016. So yeah, it's 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 a, it's a really good spot to call from as well. Like if you watch the video where we, I filmed my brother kill Oscar, that deer came in on the trail that they normally do, but instead of coming and getting on the same and, and continuing on the trail like my deer did last week, he cut and just dropped down off that high bank and went across the creek and was headed away. We just let him go because he came kind of downwind of us. Our, we were kind of cheating the wind that day. We didn't have a direct south wind. We had a lot of west in it. I don't know how he didn't smell us. But anyway, he crossed the creek, and I let that deer get 150 yards upwind of us before I called to him. And he he just couldn't take it. He had to march back up in there and see what was going on. Um and the same thing happened to uh, Charlie Brown. Um, he was coming down through there, and I rattled and snort wheezed at him, and he marched right up in there, and I shot him at 30 yards. So, yeah, it's just one of those spots that it's really hard for the deer to get downwind of you. Um, and if they do, so it's kind of a weird spot. Like, it, I've never sat in that stand and had the wind, like, go, like a wind thermal go down, just mainly because you're, you're on that high side of that lip of that creek bank, and the wind kind of comes through that bottom, and when it's coming to you, it's headed up because that lip kind of throws it like a like a spoiler on a car would. Um, and it just, even even if a deer gets downwind of you, and, and, and sometimes you do, I've never had a deer, I don't think I've ever had a deer smell me out of that sand just because the lay of the land allows for it. Um, and you know, when you're hunting with that south wind, you can literally sit there with a wind checker and I'm adamant about doing it. I'm probably doing it too much, but you know, when you're in a stand, you're bored or if a deer <laughs> yeah. kind of looks like it might go downwind, you always got your wind checker out and you're blowing it. But oh, the yeah. wind, every time out of that stand, the wind will go like at a 45 degree angle up and behind you. And awesome. just, it just kind of sails it up and out into this giant field and, like I said, I've never had a deer win me out of that stand, so it's 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 the most bulletproof spot that I have. No, I mean it just sure sounds like it. The access and the uh, the wind or the way that works through there is it's just dynamite. You have acorns, which are really huge this year, obviously, and then you have you know that south facing slope or that that thicket that they're bedding in and cruising by, and then you probably even took advantage of the cold front where these bucks are are getting, you know, getting squirrely and getting there. And, and he broke loose that day and started making these scrapes where, you know, that could happen any day right now to anybody else too, right, in terms of the time of year and, and you yeah, find I some mean, some acorns. I mean, would you recommend doing that same thing possibly this weekend, hunting a downwind side uh, of a bedding area next to, next to some oaks, right, you know, end of October? That sounds like a plan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's a plan any year, no matter. Yeah, true. You know, I mean, it, it's the time of year is right, and the weather's right, and, and the does ain't quite ready. Uh, so you're looking at 
you know, those bucks are going to be cruising around. Just even if they're not with the doe, you might see one 50 yards away from her looking at her. Like, are you ready yet? Because I am. You know, <laughs> they've, they've got a, they've got a lot of bent up frustration, and they're ready to roll. So. Well, it's kind of what, why I'm why I mentioned it because I'm taking off on a three day trip to Southern Ohio, and I can picture the same situation you're talking about in one of my bottoms down there. And then Brian, he's not seeing a ton on on daylight on his cameras yet, and nor nor are we. But that could all change tonight, tomorrow, the next night. You know, with with what you're saying, it's, it could kick off any moment. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I just found a big scrape down. There was uh, fresh acorns and caps uh, all over the place down inside of a bottom here that I just walked today. So there might be something to that. Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. And and normally I would wait, um, you know, for a a set of trail cam pictures or, you know, some kind of MRI like that. And and like I said, I was in there for another deer because I, I did have another deer that was daylighting. And I just got lucky with that deer. I mean, he, you know, he was one of the six or seven that was on the list. And when they stroll by, you take advantage of it, you know. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, and 30 minutes after I shot, the deer that I was in there to kill walked by one of my cell cameras about three or 400 yards from me. So <laughs> he was in the center of the farm. So he's still there. But I'd really like to, I'd really like to see Dad kill that deer. Nice. So, yeah. So, Casey, you mentioned that buck having a baby face. We haven't talked about it much on the podcast, and everybody has different goals, obviously, but could you give us a quick and dirty version of how you feel judge a deer when it's coming down the trail before you decide if you're going to take it? I mean, this time of year uh, is probably the the best time of year to try to judge a mature deer. Um, You know, you're always going to be looking at their body. Um, And every place is different um from your deer in ohio to my deer in illinois um but they're always going to have you know that little bit of loose skin underneath their neck when they're walking like a mature deer walks they tend to walk a little bit different they tend to act a little bit different than a than a younger deer um that's a hard question to answer for me just because i think there's a million experts on it but you really kind of need to be in tune with your deer um because this deer would have fooled anybody. If I didn't have the history with him, with trail camera and video, you could not have convinced me that that deer was five, just at a, at a quick glance. Yeah. Um, he just didn't show that, you know, cause like Oscar, he was, that deer we killed in 2016, that deer, he just looked like a bodybuilder. But he was just built different. Every deer is different. They all have a different personality. And they all have different body types. If you really start to look at deer, um, you know, like I said, this deer was longer. When I say longer and taller, it looked like you had an extra rib in him, and it looked like he was six inches taller than some of the other deer around there. But when you get a frame like that, a body frame like that, it's harder to really uh, see the weight differences or the body characteristics in that type of deer versus a shorter and more compact version of it. They don't fill out just. They don't fill out quite as good. Um, but that's just, that's just something that I do year in and year out is study trail cam pictures just hours at a time. My wife gets aggravated at me sometimes. She's like, come up here, (laughs) have a good supper or something. I'm like, 
<laughs> I need about two more hours. I'm down here looking at this stuff. But. <laughs> yeah, it's just, um, yeah. Well, Casey, that was that's pretty awesome, Hunt. The way that came together for you, I think you did a lot of things right there. And I uh, just want to congratulate you on that nice buck. And um, is there anything else you think we missed, or why you think you killed that deer, or any any advice that you might give our listeners for uh, this weekend coming up here? Mm, I don't know. I mean, the only thing I can tell you now is to get out and hunt. Yep. Um, still play the wind. Um, you know, access and and exit, entry and exit is still extremely important. But um, you know, if you've got a cold front and it's late October, get your ass in the stand. That's all I can say. Amen. So I'm just trying to find one I want to kill right now. Um, I'm kind of just in limbo as far as one that I really want to put a lot of effort into going after. Because I've got a lot of deer that I'd just like to see one more year on them. A couple deer I'd like to see too, but just nothing that really blows my skirt up right now. So I'm going to keep doing a little recon and see what we can find. Hello. Did, did we lose Jared? I don't know. I think Maybe. we must have. <laughs> no worries. He's the editing master. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I thought I was talking to myself there for a second. No, I got you loud and clear. You guys hear me all right? No, I What in the hell? I was talking to myself. <laughs> I thought I was talking to myself. I I could hear you, but anywho, I don't know. I got this. I got this dollar store internet apparently. But uh, I hear you. No, I was just gonna say you might have somebody new sneak in there now that you're you got a five year old out of there and your neighbor. You know, he got that other one, so maybe you. I mean, you might not know who can show up now. Yeah, I mean, last year uh, the second deer that I ended up killing, uh, he didn't show up. Now this is on a different farm. This is on my in laws' place. He didn't show up until Halloween, the morning of Halloween. So there's a lot of time left. Um, I, I believe the the best portion of it's still to come. But um, you're going to be relying a lot on probably a stranger buck to show up, which yeah, it it can happen. Um, but and I don't have a I don't have a single mature deer on that farm right now, and that means always that and always has at least one, if not two or three, on it. So hopefully somebody will move in and take charge of the place, but. We shall see. I got the food. If it doesn't happen in the rut, it'll happen late season. I guarantee it. Well, there's a lot of hunting season left, man. And uh, oh, you've, yeah. done a great, you've done a great job so far. I want to thank you again for, for coming on and, you know, always having time to chat with us. It means a lot. So thank you, and, and good luck the rest of the season. Hopefully we'll have uh, some buck pictures to send you soon. Heck, yeah, man. Get after it. Thanks, Casey. Congrats again. Yeah. That's a beautiful buck. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property 
consultation services on there under the land plan tab. Check out our HP land plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at habitatpodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where we can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. We have Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plots, The Habitat Hook, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, Sound Barrier Hunting, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. It's fun to go with, like, just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.